0: the most valuable thing I've ever done in my life has been blogging.
1: Coming to you in your speakers from Dubai to all around the globe.
2: This is James Reynolds Traffic Jam Podcast.
1: Five, four, three, two, one.
2: Hey there, listener. Welcome back to Traffic Jam. This is episode 47 of the podcast show that teaches you how to get more traffic and build a profitable audience online. I am your host, as always, James Reynolds, and we've got another excellent show lined up for you today. Now, just at the top of the show, I want to say a quick hi to new listener Brian Horn, to longtime listener Steve Hutt, and also to Eugene So. Thank you to each of you for joining in on the discussion for these episodes. So rewarding, as always, to hear your positive feedback. And to that, I salute each one of you. Now, you, the listener, can also join in on the discussion for these episodes. And for this particular show, you do that by going to trafficjamcast.com Forward slash 47, where you can also get a special bonus step by step checklist that lays out the exact strategies that our guest today has used to launch with huge success to very well known blogs. Now, those blogs are Think Traffic and more recently Fizzle.co. So, we welcome to the show today, Corbett Barr, who's a serial entrepreneur who's had plenty of success and a fair few failures as well, building audiences for various web projects he's been a part of. In fact... The website for which he got most fame, Think Traffic, was launched after watching several friends of his struggle to build an audience for their sites. Now, through his courses and consulting, Corbett has helped students and clients launch or grow more than a 1,000 blogs and websites in the past five years, and he now generates well over 100,000 visits per month to his own websites. So I thought it'd be a great idea to invite Corbett onto the show to share his learnings from launching several websites websites and to lay out a repeatable framework that you too can use to launch or reignite a blog online. So that's exactly what you can expect from this episode, and all that remains now is for me to introduce our guest today, Corbett Barr from Fizzle.co. Dude, there, Corbett. Welcome to Traffic Jam.
0: Hey, James. Thanks for having me on. Glad we could make it work.
2: Yeah. Super stoked you could be here. Now, of course, you've been doing this whole lot online thing for a fair amount of time now. When did you first decide you wanted to build an online business?
0: Uh, let's see. The very first time around, it was in 2003. So ancient history by now. Um, <laughs> I've gone through, I've gone through a couple of iterations since then, but um The style of business that I'm building now, which is really based around a blog and a podcast, uh, I started that in 2009.
2: Well, I want to ask you some questions around that because you've built two very well established businesses, both Think Traffic and Fizzle, which I'm sure some of our listeners at least will have heard of. Both of those sites gained a huge amount of popularity pretty fast. What steps would you repeat if or when, you know, were to launch another site in the future?
0: Uh it's a good question and I'm sure that I will launch another site because I have that entrepreneurial addiction to launching new things, right? <laughs> it's it's a challenge not to launch new things actually. That's that's really my struggle now to try to stay focused, but um in launching uh Fizzle, we had an unfair advantage because we already had a built-in audience. So I don't know yeah. that that applies necessarily as well. For Think Traffic, um that was a bit newer and I didn't really have uh an audience that was focused on, you know, building online businesses at the point. That I launched that. And um, the steps that I went through, you know, I really tried to plan out the initial content. And I knew that if I was going to come out with this new idea, this new brand, and really get some initial early traction, that I needed to make a big um to do about it. You know, I needed to make some noise about it. And then, when I brought people in, I needed to have enough substance there to hook them. I think a lot of people get the sizzle part of the equation right. They make a lot of noise and they get a lot of, you know, attention, but then the steak part, you know, the the meat of the matter isn't necessarily as good as it should be. So I really tried to focus on both simultaneously. So just specifically that meant that I had my first few weeks of content already written, already ready, and um I launched with uh initially I did a big roundup post where I interviewed 17 people. I think the post was called 17 traffic building tips from some of the world's most popular bloggers or from 17 of the most world's most popular bloggers. So I interviewed a lot of people who were popular. And um, at the time, that was a good strategy. That strategy is kind of worn a little thin now because so many people have done it. Um, but it worked really well, actually, to get a big boost of people to my site and to create a post that was very shareable. Um, and then I really encouraged people to subscribe. And uh, I followed up just with the very best stuff that I could right out of the gate to try to get people really interested and to get the buzz flowing.
2: Yeah. So was that what you launched with that list post that leveraged other experts own audiences?
0: Essentially, yes. I I think I had one other post that was sort of just a welcome to think traffic, which I ran without any fanfare. I just made sure that that was on the site in case people
2: wanted to dig in and check other things out. Yeah. So when you launched Fizzle, then did you adopt the same strategy? Did you try and kind of pre-populate the site with, you know, at least a base level of content for when you sort of started to open up the floodgates of traffic and start to drive people there?
0: Well, Fizzle was a little different for us. Really, it was uh, more of a product than it was a content play initially. So we created Fizzle as a, it's a membership site, a community and training library for entrepreneurs. And because we already had think traffic, what we did was we really launched fizzle through a number of different alpha and beta stages before we opened it up to the public. And we did that by telling people on our think traffic list about what we were working on and that it was coming. and then we would open the doors um, just to get enough people in to get feedback. and we would um, we called those people charter members. And we gave them a discount, basically, in exchange for their feedback. And so we sort of primed the pump and got people inside before we ever decided to open the doors fully. And then later, actually, after we launched Fizzle, um, later we decided to start a blog around Fizzle and then also to start a podcast.
2: Yeah, well, it's much different, isn't it, to launch a new site with the baseline and an audience already there than it is trying to do it from scratch so i'm sure you kind of had a slightly unfair advantage over most when you're launching fizzle you do although you d- you do sort of go through the same um issues in terms of you know how do i
0: launch this and how best do i make use of the resources that i have that's yeah. really the question for me and at different stages in your career or depending on you know, how long you've been, um, you know, active, you might have an audience already or you might not. But the question is always the same. How do I make use of all of the resources that I have and the time that I have um, to gear up for this launch?
2: Yeah. So you've of course got a couple of rounds of learning now. What would you not do next time around? What would I not do for a launch next
0: time around? Um, that's a really great question. I I think that in general, I've gotten um, more interested in launching as soon as I can, almost to put things out there when they're still rough, Yeah, uh, because the feedback that you get from people is invaluable. And uh, in the beginning, what I would do is hunker down and tinker away on something for months and months and months, or sometimes years almost, uh, before I launched it to the public, only to find out that I was way off in my assumptions about what people wanted um, or what they would find interesting. And so now... What I try to do is really, first of all, to be as transparent as I possibly can while I'm building the thing to let people know that I'm working on something, that it's going to be coming out yeah. um, so that I can get their feedback along the way and hopefully get them excited for the launch so that people will show up on launch day. And then I really try to put things out just almost to where they're they're embarrassingly unfinished, you know, where <sighs> there are some things where it's like, oh, don't look over there. You know, we didn't have time to clean the bedroom before you guys came over for dinner sort of thing. <laughs> And, um, and that has worked out really well because I think that you know people who get in at those early stages start to feel a sense of ownership of the project along yeah. with you. They feel really like they've been part of something um, since the beginning, and they're vested in seeing you succeed. And so they're more likely to give you good, positive feedback as opposed to just moving on without saying anything.
2: Yeah, totally. Well, now you asked this same question of others when you first launched Think Traffic, I believe. So I want to turn the question back to you. What's your most kind of unconventional traffic strategy? Um,
0: my biggest one is probably don't quit. <laughs> Make sure that you're around for a very long time. People ask how we built, a, you know, the audience that we've built uh, across Think Traffic and Fizzle and whatever. And as I look back on it, there's all kinds of strategies and tactics and things, but they really get smoothed out over time. And you realize that very few of them were that important. Mm. The important thing was that you showed up every day, every week, that you focused on who is my audience, how can I help them, how can I publish something to help them. And to be honest, the, the reason that we have a big audience is that I, I showed up every week for, it's been five and a half years now since I first started a blog, and we've published maybe a 1,000 articles now over those five years. And you would be hard-pressed to publish 5,000 blog posts and not have some semblance of an audience. And if you choose a problem that people are interested in and you really focus on every week showing up and getting better at helping them with that problem, you're going to do just fine with a blog or a podcast or anything else. But you really have to show up and you have to focus on getting better week by week. You can't just show up and do the same thing every week and expect different results. That's what Einstein said was the definition of insanity. Um, You really have to show up and try to get better each week. And if you're not getting the results that you want, then you have to shake something up and change and adapt and get better. And really, that's all I did for the past five and a half years. And now we have multiple hundreds of thousands of people showing up on our sites every month.
2: Yeah well it's amazing how many times this line of conversation has come up over the course of these interviews. Joe Polizzi um was was one of them and we were chatting about just how soon businesses or individuals are to give up on content marketing and you know put a few posts out expect to you know see a huge surge of traffic and engagement which of course does not happen and they just put the project by the wayside and i think there's a mm-hmm. huge case in point for persistence and discipline to really get the traction going with this sort of stuff yeah
0: without that nothing no other traffic strategy or tactic's going to work because you're definitely not going to have some overnight success in the first week um and so if you don't if you're not willing to be dedicated for at least a year or two you're not going to see the results that you're hoping for, and and really, you have to align those expectations before you start.
2: yeah, absolutely. Well, you of course have got a large community of business owners inside your fizzle membership, so I'm sure you see plenty of case studies and and different things going on. What do you see you know others making in terms of mistakes online when trying to kind of build an audience?
0: Well, the biggest one, we talked before about the steak and the sizzle, and I think it's a big mistake to focus on just one versus the other in either direction. And the direction that I see people focus on um, most is usually on the content, the substance, and not on the promotion and relationships. People like to uh, work on their thing, and they're too you know scared to go out and talk to other people. They're afraid to put their stuff out there um, you know, they're afraid of rejection or whatever. And so they think that, you know, I'll just build it and eventually people will show up and I'll just keep my head down and keep doing my thing. And I've seen this in all kinds of disciplines, not just blogging or podcasting, but it also works the same way for musicians or for artists or whatever. It's really easy just to focus on your craft and, um, not to do the promotion part of it. And really you need to do some of both. And so for the people that I see, you know, this this whole uh, content marketing strategy work for, they're the people that are really spending equal amounts on the content as well as the promotion. And the promotion really, to me, all starts with creating relationships with other people online who have access to audiences that might be a good fit for you and for what you're doing. Mm. Basically, your job is to figure out where other people are already hanging out online and then how you can get in front of them and bring them back to your own site. And that all starts by creating relationships with other people. Um, I think back to the early days of blogging for me and the people that I became friends with who were just starting out, just coming up. But I could tell that they had ambition and drive and that they had something interesting and that they had maybe some early semblance of success. They weren't rock stars or A-listers or anything by any means, but those people Um, And I, you know, we worked together and we, we formed little bonds and teams and mastermind groups and things like that. And we all came up together. And sure enough, a lot of those people became big names, people that you would know very well now. Um, who five and a half years ago were just starting out. And we were, I think, more valuable to each other at those stages yeah. because of the the direct support and accountability and going to bat for one another. Then you'll find if you try to reach out just to a bunch of people who seem really established, um, if you just bang down you know, Seth Godin or Gary Vaynerchuk's door or whatever, um, you're not going to get a whole lot of results because those people are really busy and they're approached by hundreds of people every week. You're much better to look out for people who are the rising stars, the kinds of people who you tell you can tell have that special thing, whatever it is, and um, just to form teams with them, you know, informal teams where where you hold each other accountable and you make sure that each of you shows up every week, and you're also there to give kind of that harsh critique once in a while that you're not going to get from other people because you're not, you know, insiders. You're not friends to that level.
2: Yeah. So how might we go about identifying these people first? And then secondly, do you have any kind of good strategies or perhaps some sort of advice to get the most out of an outreach program to kind of get in touch with these people? Because I think that can be quite hard, right? Especially if, you know, these people are starting to get a bit of a name for themselves. I'm sure they're getting approached by others. They are, but
0: not as much as you would think, especially if, you know, again, I'm talking about people who are the rising stars, not five years into it, but people that are within their, you know, first six months or a year of seeing any success, those people aren't being approached as much as you would think. And so you can stand out with just an email often, especially if it's, you know, really thoughtful and um, carefully crafted. But before that, you know, what I would do is um, spend a lot of time getting to know who's who in your space. In fact, when I started out, I made a point I was blogging the site that I started in 2009 was called Free Pursuits and the idea was I was on a 8-month long road trip sabbatical through Mexico and I kept I kept meeting people who weren't rich or retired but had figured out ways to live in foreign countries for every for every year for months and I started this blog basically to ask myself questions about who these people were how they were able to do this and how somebody could make their career work around their life instead of the other way around. And I made a point initially uh, within the first six months or so of blogging to get to know every other person in that space of lifestyle design or location independence or, or whatever you want to call it. I made a point of getting to know who every other blogger was in that space and then to reach out to the top 50 or so and try to get to know them personally. and. The easiest way to do that is to organize some sort of um, some sort of blog community event or podcast community event within your space, whatever that is, to, to say, hey, let's all get together and run a series of posts on X, sort of like the old blog carnival kind of stuff that used to go on. Or what I did was I ran a survey, actually. I organized a survey for the audiences that we all shared so that we could get a bunch of really interesting results. Um, and... Beyond that, you know, I encourage people to to name names on their site and to link out freely and talk about other people that they admire, you know, to say, "Hey, I don't know if you've seen what Jane Smith is up to over here, but she's got some really exciting stuff going on before you even know Jane. Just talk about how great her stuff is and link to her directly, mention her on Twitter and just kind of grease the wheels a little bit, and that's a great way to get on someone's radar, and then when you send them an email, to say, hey, just wanted to let you know, I'm not a stalker. I'm just a big fan. Um, I've been following your work for a few months. I think we have a lot in common, and uh, I've mentioned you a few times in different articles. And I'd love to chat on Skype sometime if if you have a minute. That sort of approach can work really well. And you know, you don't have to be bummed out if you don't hear back from any individual person if you don't put all your eggs in one basket and make it so that. All of your success depends on reaching this one specific person that you have your heart set on because some people just aren't going to connect with you for some reason. Maybe they're too busy. Maybe your personality doesn't strike them, um, you know, or maybe they're just shy or whatever. And so don't expect that, you know, all of your success is going to come from one single relationship. I would make a list of 20 or 30 people that you want to get to know and then systematically just follow this sort of approach or whatever approach works for you where, you know, you try to get on their radar somehow and then just reach out to them directly. And of those, you know, 20 or 30 people that you reach out to, you should have at least a 50% response rate. And then from there, you move on to see which of these people are going to be good friends um, and just let the relationships happen naturally.
2: Yeah. And you've also managed to leverage those relationships really well with co-authored content, right? Tell us a little bit about some of those pieces you've produced.
0: (laughs) Uh, Co-authored content. Yeah. So, well, initially, as I mentioned, some of these early relationships that I created, um, I had gotten to know Adam Baker from a site called Man Versus Debt. We both started blogging in about the same month of the same year. And um, we got to know each other just, you know, from methods that I'm talking about here. We became friends. And, um, you know, over the months, we just kind of both knew that we wanted to work together on something. And it didn't happen until we were both in the same place. He was actually here in San Francisco, and we went out for dinner, and we were kind of talking about that, like, you know, wouldn't it wouldn't be fun to work on a project at some point. And we were finally like, well, why haven't we done that? And I think it was just, you know, being able to be in person and really hash out the details made it work. And so we eventually launched a, a project called The Hustle Project, and the idea was basically group accountability, getting a bunch of people together. Um, on a weekly basis to hold each other accountable, to try to, um, you know, set goals, basically a a big mastermind group or a a group coaching program. And that was a really fun project. And um, I think it happened because we were both in person, as I said. And uh, looking back on it, I realized how many critical decisions and relationships have come about because I actually Met people in person. Yeah. Usually I I had known those people already online, and then uh, we all attended a conference or whatever it was, got to know them in person, and that just really took things to the next level. So, you know, don't overlook how important those in person relationships are. And um, I really, really strongly advise people to attend conferences, even if they don't know anybody to begin with. Um, You know, book yourself at a conference that's coming up. Uh, there used to be something called Blog World. I think it's called New Media Expo. There's South by Southwest. There's the um, the Art of Nonconformity conference, which is called the World Domination Summit. Those are all fantastic opportunities to meet people. And what you do is, you know, book yourself. Into going to one of those a few months out, and then start to form relationships ahead of time. To say, you know, maybe reach out to your audience, your readers. Say, who's going to be at this conference? I'd love to meet up with you. Reach out to other bloggers who you hear talking about the conferences online, and mention that you're going to be there as well, and meet those people in person. And then that can lead to those co-authorship opportunities that you were talking about. Because then, you know, you can you can do all the talking with people online as as you want, but the bandwidth just isn't there, meaning the the, um, the nonverbal stuff, the, the cues that you pick up when you actually talk to people in person.
2: Yeah, I couldn't agree with that more. I mean, I know from my own experience, my business has certainly multiplied when I've kind of got out from behind the desk and got on a plane and traveled to the US or to Australia um, because you can really just deepen those relationships with otherwise a kind of very much surface level. Um, So I think that's valuable advice, especially to us online marketers who are kind of sitting behind our computers for hours and days on end sometimes. Exactly. Let me talk to you about standing out. We were we touched on the topic in terms of standing out to potential content partners and things like that. What about standing out online in terms of content? Because content marketing is super in vogue right now, but there's a huge amount of people that are creating content. What sort of tips have you got for creating something that's really going to stand out above the rest?
0: You have to do something different. and And that really means thinking creatively for yourself. What I see is and this is okay in the beginning. Uh, what I see is people basically just copying other people and trying to see what works for them and and copying their approach. And and more than just their approach, sometimes they're copying literally you know, uh, ideas for headlines and things like that. And it's just really hard to stand out if you're doing exactly what everybody else is doing. And when you realize that there's really not that much actual creativity going on online, that's when it becomes really easy to stand out. Most people don't even try to be creative. Most people... Um, really don't have original ideas for themselves. They're not able to synthesize ideas that they read in books or by watching films or by listening to music or by studying what's going on in other industries. Most people aren't able to synthesize those sorts of things. And so all they do is they put on the tunnel vision blinders and they look at their own industry, their own content format, and um, they just really overanalyze what's going on in their own space. And then they end up basically copying, maybe not intentionally, but because they're so immersed in that world, that's the only thing that they know. And they don't go anywhere else for inspiration. And when you realize that that's mostly what's going on and that all you have to do is to force yourself to try to be creative, to try to create something that's not based on what you saw someone else do, but based on something that um, comes from a different place, a natural place. And maybe, like I said, to borrow ideas that you find from other creative pursuits, from what you see being interesting in other spaces entirely, that's a great way to come up with something and then to make it your own. Because all creativity is combinatorial in some way. You know, all creativity, it's not as if there's anything that's brand new. Everything that anyone makes is a combination of things that have been seen elsewhere in nature or in other industries. Um, But you know, you can combine those things and create something that really does stand out for yourself. Um, but it's a process of trial and error. Again, you know, I mentioned before, you can't just show up every week, do the exact same thing, and expect different results. What you have to do is, you know, try something new, put it out there, and you're probably going to fall flat a number of times. And you have to be willing to fail. You have to be willing to stomach that you put something out there that did worse than the sort of, you know uh mediocre results that you've been getting with the copied formats that you've been using maybe you'll put out some stuff and it'll fall really flat but then maybe you'll put something out and it'll work really well eventually so you know really to me if you want to have success with whatever strategy it is that you're doing whether it's blogging or podcasting or whatever in terms of content you have to find some formula that works for example Um, you know, not to put down interview shows on podcasts, because I really love interviews. And obviously, we're doing one right now. But when we started our podcast for Fizzle, what we noticed was there was just a glut of interviews out there. There were a lot of different shows that were doing interviews. And I like, you know, what you're doing, uh, James, in terms of at least focusing on a particular topic for your interviews. But we just saw that there were so many interviews out there, we thought, why not do something different? Why not start a show that's not interview based, that's more you know traditional talking head style that you would find um, in a radio program or something, where really it's just the hosts most of the time. Um, and we saw this you know being successful in other spaces as well. And we decided to run with that format primarily because it was a differentiating factor for us. And you know I can't say that we're necessarily. Um, that we necessarily have a much bigger audience than we would have if we had done interviews. I don't know because we didn't do both. But I can tell you that the Fizzle podcast, the Fizzle show, has become a really strong driver of new customers to us because instead of doing interviews, it's an hour of us talking. And if people listen to the show, they really get to know us and our opinions. And that makes them great candidates to become customers of our program.
2: Yeah, I think that's one of those challenges, right, with doing... An interview based show because for the most part the focus is on the interviewee as opposed to the host of the show and I'm guessing really the host of the show is the one that wants to build his own authority and his own audience rather than always just piggybacking on someone else so uh, it's a it's a battle that's um hard for I know there's some guys that do it very well I mean there's you know Pat Flynn always manages to get a very much a strong piece of him in his own show despite the fact that it's really exactly. interview based as well but it's a hard balance to to portray sometimes.
0: Yeah, it is and and also, you know, I've I've seen some people who don't just do an interview but um they have some sort of segment before or after that is um you know that that they follow some format yeah. that they follow where they, you know, some people have some big question that they're diving into and then they bring on the interview guest basically to, you know, to talk about that. Other people position themselves as the expert and they have the interview guest on and they sort of go through a little bit of um, counseling or coaching with them while they're on the phone, even though these are bigger name people that they have on. So there's all kinds of things, but the whole point is that you have to make you have to make yourself stand out, and you have to look around. And if you see that, you know, oh, I started a blog, and every other blog in our space is running list posts about, you know, your top ten traffic strategies for X, Y, and Z. And I have a a blog that's talking about the same kind of thing. I can't just run the same kind of post over and over again and expect different results. I need to create something that is unique and powerful in my own way.
2: Yeah, well, let's finish up with a question on traffic, because this is the focus of the show, as you so rightly said. If you had to kind of roll the chips and put all of your money on one particular traffic source that's been successful in your own business, what would that be?
0: For me, it would always come back to blogging. Um, I've mentioned a couple of times, I gave a talk recently, and I wrote a blog post about um, just my realizing that the most valuable thing I've ever done in my life has been blogging. Uh, I started a blog five and a half years ago while I was just on a trip, and I started one on a whim, and it led to so many incredible opportunities. I run a business now um, with three other guys who I adore, and we have a great time doing it. Um, I'm able to live anywhere in the world, and I spend winters in Mexico and often summers in Europe. And um, I just love my business, and I don't have any investors or um, you know, anybody else to answer to. And all of that happened because I started a blog. And looking back on it, I just realized that all roads, all opportunities that I've had since then, all of the friendships, the speaking opportunities, everything has come because I started a blog. And it's a really, really powerful thing. And I'm not saying that Podcasting couldn't be that thing for you, or creating videos couldn't be that thing for you. I think it can be. Obviously, that has worked uh, wonders for a lot of people. So I would really pick the format that you feel best about. Um, don't pick the format that you think the most opportunities lie in, because I think we see this over and over again. People think that some format is dead. People think this, that blogging is dead, or ebooks are dead, or email is dead, or whatever. They'll say the same about podcasting, and they probably are now. Um, And things come and go in waves. But there will always be opportunities for interesting, unique, valuable, powerful, um, emphatic content. And uh, it really doesn't matter the format it's in.
2: Well, let's wrap things up there, Corbett, and leave our listeners with a couple of places to head off and find you on the internet. I'm guessing fizzle.co would be one. Where else should we send people off to?
0: Fizzle is the best place. Um, you could find us on iTunes. If you just uh, you know type in Fizzle in the search box there, you'll find our Fizzle show podcast. Uh, we have new episodes every week, and fizzle.co is, um, as I said, our training, library and community for entrepreneurs. It's really a group of people who are in there fighting the good fight every week, trying to make a little bit of progress towards supporting themselves online um, by you know doing something that they actually care about.
2: Fantastic. Well, to you, the listener, for a link to those resources, Corbett's social media profiles and everything else mentioned in today's show, head on over to trafficjamcast.com forward slash 47. So all that leaves me to do is thank you, Corbett, for coming on Traffic Jam. Absolute pleasure to be talking to you today. And uh, I hope we can do it again sometime soon. Absolutely. Thanks for having me on, James. So there you have it. That was Corbett Barr from Fizzle.co. Thank you, as always, for taking the time out to listen into the show. To help you get the most from this episode, I've put together a free step-by-step checklist that shows you the exact process for launching a brand new blog or kickstarting your old blog back into action. Now, this checklist summarized Corbett Barr's very best traffic driving strategies. And to get your hands on the checklist and start generating much more traffic to your site, visit trafficjamcast.com forward slash 47. That's trafficjamcast.com forward slash 47. Now, I also recommend that you subscribe via iTunes and Stitcher Radio. And you can do that by going to trafficjamcast.com forward slash iTunes and trafficjamcast.com forward slash Stitcher. And that will ensure that you never miss a future episode. Now, to access all of the bonuses that come with this show, including the blog launch checklist, downloadable MP3 and full transcript of today's show, go to, as I said, trafficjamcast.com forward slash 47, where, of course, you can also join the discussion on this episode. Now, we end this week's show with a traffic jam chosen by our guest, Corbett Barr. It's called Don't Swallow the Cap. It's By a band called The
1: National. Enjoy. All oh, that breaks behind the houses. I don't see what's strange about this. Tiny bubbles hang above me. It's a sign that someone loves me. I can hardly stand upright in my head upon the light. I have faith but don't believe it. It's not there enough to leave it. Everything I love is on the table. Everything I love is out to see. I have only two emotions careful fear and dead devotion. I can't get the balance right. With all my marbles in the fight, I see all the ones I went for, all the things I had it in for. I won't cry until I hear, cause I was not supposed to be here. Everything I love is on Table. Everything I love is out to see I'm not alone. I'll never be into the ball. I'll never breathe. I'm tired of freezing. I'm done. When it gets so late, I forget everyone. I need somebody to stay. do anybody I knows the way calm down it's all right keep my arms the rest of the night when they ask what do I see I say bright white beautiful heaven hanging over me Think about what I wanna say to the girls at the door. I need somewhere to be, but I can't get around the river in front of me. Calm down, it's alright. Leave my arms the rest of the night. When they ask what do I see, I say a bright, white, beautiful heaven hanging over me. traffic jam podcast with james
2: reynolds to know more about this program and to subscribe for future episodes check out the website
1: trafficjamcast.com